0: The following talk is from St. Michael's Fulwell, a gospel-centered community for Fulwell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfolwell.co.uk. The reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For your assurance, we try to be less than three hours for our sermons here at St. Michael's. Um, uh, Some of the differences are practical, cultural, others are a bit more theological. Um, Some of us think it's right. For example, you know, to open a can of worms to uh, baptize children of believers and other, others. Don't think that's right. Um, we might debate those things, but in the end, we don't fall out about them, or at least we shouldn't, even with something as important and as serious as baptism. I enormously respect um, the Baptist friends that I have who've worked hard at understanding the Bible and come to a different conclusion. And we can honor each other's... Um, uh, integrity and honor each other's faithfulness as we seek to uh, look at the Bible and work out what it says about baptism. But what about the things that we, we we should all have in common? Things that every Christian all around the world should believe and every church should teach. How do we know what those things are? Why do we believe them? Let me give an example of, of what I mean. Uh, one of the, the most important things to me, one of the most treasured and amazing, wonderful things for me, and I'm sure uh, you the know, vast majority would echo this, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That is perhaps the most treasured truth of my life. The belief that Je- in, in Jesus is saving death on the cross, I've, been forgiven and welcomed in by God for eternity it's incredibly precious to me I think it's the most amazing most wonderful thing that's ever happened in all of history it's God's rescue for all humanity it's God's solution for all of our problems it's his forgiveness for all of us rebels it is literally the best thing I think that anyone in the world could ever find out about and I think it's what Every Christian should believe. I think it's what every church should teach. It's one of the essential things that makes a Christian a Christian, that makes a church a Christian church. Even more than that, that a belief in, in Jesus dying on the cross for us um, isn't just one important belief amongst many. In in some ways, it's the central belief, the most important thing for every Christian and every church. Um, we're uh, going to be starting a series of sermons next Sunday evening in a letter called um, uh, 1 Corinthians. And uh, just to show you how important the cross of Jesus is in the Bible, uh, these are probably familiar verses to us, Um, Paul summarizes in 1 Corinthians the whole Christian message, the whole gospel, uh, in these words, the message of the cross So important, so central is the cross of Jesus. You could say the whole of Christianity is, in one sense, the message of the cross. And uh, he says, we preach Christ crucified. That is, if you want to summarize what Paul preached and, and what he teaches us to preach, you could say, well, the summary of it is Christ crucified. He even says, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Doesn't mean he didn't know anything about anything else or he didn't ever speak about anything else. In fact, the letter is full of all kinds of things. It's a fascinating letter that covers many, many topics um, to entice regulars um, to our uh, series in in 1 Corinthians. We're only just sort of getting started in the letter, but we'll no doubt come back to it um, from time to time. The letter deals with arguments in church. Christians who were confused about sex and didn't care that one guy slept with his mother-in-law and others were were going to prostitutes. Um, To times when Christians were taking each other to court. Church meetings that were a mess of arguments and, and pride. Using spiritual gifts in church. Tons and tons and tons of different aspects of the Christian life that Paul talks about. But when he's saying, I resolve to know nothing amongst you except Christ crucified, he means All of those things he talks about, he shows how the cross of Christ changes all of those things. They are all connected to Jesus' death on the cross. And uh, here's how he finishes the letter. In uh, chapter 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's top of the list. He lists a few other things in that list, but Christ dying for our sins is top of the Apostle Paul's list of the things of first importance. So if you're a Christian, whether it's at Michael's or elsewhere, I hope, in fact, if you are a Christian, I know that you know this, that you feel this, that you're nodding your head, whether physically or internally, invisibly, um, saying, yes, Jesus' death on the cross is the most wonderful, the most precious thing, the most central thing of all. And uh, some might be here looking into the Christian faith. And if that's you, if you're not sure yet about Christianity, you're not sure yet what to make of Jesus, if you want to get your head around Christianity, what it all is, then the single most important thing to understand is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you understand why Jesus died why you need Jesus to have died for you, then everything else will start to slot in, into place. Yeah, there's all sorts of questions you could ask and all sorts of um, uh, things that you might want to explore, but it's the cross of Jesus that makes sense of everything and draws everything together. If you get to the point of being able to say, I get it now, I, I get why Jesus had to die on the cross for me, then you've got it. You've understood what it's all about. And at that point, you you can come to the Lord. You can just say very simply to him, "Um, please forgive me. Please may the death of Jesus on the cross be for me. (laughs) Please may I receive eternal life through what Jesus has done. And anyone can do that at any time. You could do that tonight if you've never done it before. And uh, I'd love to chat to you. Uh, if you'd like help to think that through. So where are we? Um, the cross of Christ is uh, perhaps the most important Christian truth. That every Christian should believe and every church should teach. I want to put it alongside the resurrection of Christ. Those two things. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But why do we believe those things? What, what is the basis for our belief? It's an important question to ask, what is the basis, what's the authority for the things that we need to believe, the things we should believe? Because we can come to believe these things through lots of different means. Let me tell you about how I uh, came to believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. First of all, it was my parents. Um, I had wonderful Christian parents who told me all about Jesus, who told me all about the cross. Um, they, They said it very beautifully, and lived it out. They had a very real faith. They told me about Jesus when I was tiny. So as as far back as I can remember, um, I I believed that Jesus had died on the cross because they told me. And then after that, I guess it was other people in church as I was growing up. I had uh, great leaders in my youth and children's groups who taught me all kinds of things, um, but kept bringing everything back to Jesus dying on the cross. And then, uh, as I got a bit older, teaching in the main service itself, listening to the talks and the prayers. Now, have you noticed so far that um, it's all through people? So my parents, youth leaders at church, um, teachers in church. As I then came into my teenage years, that started to not feel like enough. And I, I wonder... Maybe many have felt that sort of experience in church. I began to have a lot of doubts in my teenage years. A common experience. I I realized that actually there's a lot of people in the world that don't believe what my parents believe. There's a lot of people who go through life seemingly perfectly happily without the Christian message that I'd been taught in church. And uh, I was quite an analytical kid. I was quite into science. I was reading all sorts of things. Suddenly it wasn't enough to just rely on my parents' faith, on what I was being told by people that I thought highly of, that in many ways I I trusted, I trusted their motivations, they seemed good and, and trustworthy people, but could they be wrong? Maybe they were wrong. And even if I thought their faith was a good thing, which I did, I remember thinking as a teenager, if there's a God, and if he loves me, And if he came into the world and and died for me, to save me forever, that is fantastic. That is absolutely wonderful. Who wouldn't want that? And uh, I remember also as a teenager facing all sorts of temptations and and, and battling, you know, selfishness and grumpiness and all those kind of things that we all do. Um, And I knew that if there was forgiveness, eternal forgiveness on offer, that I needed it. I really needed it I couldn't even live up to my own standards let alone God's standards so I was in this weird situation of sort of wanting Christianity to be true but thinking maybe it isn't maybe we're all just deluded about it and I knew enough to know that wishful thinking doesn't just produce reality Um, things don't just become true because you want them to be um, that is one of the strange things that is often told us in this day and age, isn't it? Uh, if you really want something enough, then you can make it a reality, whatever it is. It's not true. It's a strange lie that our culture tells us today. But do you notice in that there's something? That there's another reason we might believe in things. Uh, our inner experience of them, our emotions... And uh, I could have gone down that route. Um, I could have gone down the route of saying, well, I, I want Christianity to be true. There's something about it that, that I like, that, that sort of ticks emotional boxes for me. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. But that wasn't enough. Um, actually, for a long time, I was quite confused about the place of emotions. I don't know about you. Um, As well as being quite sciencey, I was very into the music. I was in the the band in church often, as I still am today. And sometimes I'd be in church and and the swell of the music and the swell of the emotions that go along with the music was very, very powerful. And uh, I hope it sometimes is for you. It's great, wonderful to have our hearts lifted to a place of joy and a place of engagement with God as we sing. But can those emotions prove that something is true to us? We've got to be careful there. Um, sometimes in church as a teenager, I would get swept up in the emotion of it as we were singing, and I would think, yeah, God must be real. Otherwise, why would I be feeling this? But then later after the service, I would think back and think, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure. And then I would go home and I'd put a CD on. Do you remember CDs? Um, And uh, I was very, very into orchestral film music. I still am. So I'd put on a sort of John Williams or an Alan Silvestri and there'd be kind of wonderful, soaring orchestral crescendos and things. And I would get all teary-eyed and I would feel the same as I had in church. And that was confusing. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, I'm not sure what what my emotions are telling me here. Um... What, what do I make of that? I don't know. Emotions tell us all sorts of things. Music is powerful. It's wonderful. It touches our emotions in all kinds of ways. I now think it's a great gift of God for exactly that reason. It helps us to express our uh, feelings, to, to align our emotions um, with him. And when we sing in church, it really helps to, to bring our feelings in line with the, the great gospel truths that we're singing. But we've got to get that the right way around. Our feelings are are wonderful when, when they respond to truth about God. But they can't prove the truth. I can't feel a certain way and then say, okay, that, that establishes reality. So I still needed a better foundation for believing. And here's the thing. All through my teens, I wasn't reading the Bible. Um, I was vaguely aware that I sort of should. Um, you know, the church we went to was a good one. They were, they were taking us into the Bible in all sorts of ways. But I, I, I wasn't paying it any attention. It seemed hard. It seemed complicated. And maybe you relate to those feelings as well. it's only really when I came to London as a student that people first encouraged me to, to personally get into the Bible properly for myself. And uh, first of all, in the the Christian Union we had at university, they had some great Bible teaching from visiting speakers. I don't want to paint it as a a perfect picture. It was a slow process. The speakers were variable. Some of them were boring. (coughs) Um, I'm sure you've never had that experience in church at at all. Um, But just gradually, gradually, the the authority, the clarity, the the reality of the truths in the Bible were were just beginning to, to dawn on me. And then um, a staff worker from UCCF, the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship, do the, doing the kind of work that uh, Naomi here at St. Michael's used to do and uh, James Bunyan here used to do. Um, they started helping me to get into the Bible uh, through personal conversations with me, probably because they saw me about to be appointed to the CU committee and thought, oh dear, better sort this guy out. Um, and for the very first time, uh, In conversation with one other person, I went through a book of the Bible all the way from start to finish. And it was uh, 2 Timothy, the book that we had a reading from just now. So only four chapters. But even so, initially, that felt like seriously hard work. Um, I was uh, meeting with this chap who would ask me what felt like convoluted questions, and I kept feeling like I was getting it very badly wrong. Um, But then it started dawning on me. Bible was saying things that were profound and more relevant and more deep and more perceptive of human nature and just seemed to know me better than anything else, more understanding of who I was with all my questions and struggles and it was more full of wisdom and answers than anything I'd ever found anywhere else. And in that first year of university, I suddenly found that I was incredibly hungry for the Bible. I was telling with my um, ten-year-old daughter the other day, and we talked about um, uh, somebody being hungry for the Bible. And she takes everything very literally. So, I don't think I want to be hungry for the Bible. Um, but that was a wonderful thing to discover. You know, after all of that searching, here is something I can I can stand on. Um, and why could I stand on it? Well, as we got towards the end of uh, two Timothy. Some verses came up that started to make sense of it all, and they were part of our our reading. I'll just briefly mention them. So 2 Timothy 3.16, a well-known verse to to many of us, I'm sure. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's so much in there, but Scripture, God-breathed. Scripture is breathed out on, on God's breath. So although it's got human authors, Paul, Peter, John, and so on, um, it is God who breathed out the contents. The Bible is exactly what God wanted to say and exactly what God wants to say today. It is breathed out by him. Like, like my, as I'm speaking now, my words are coming out on my breath. Think of Scripture that way comes out on God's breath. Useful for, for teaching and training. The, the Bible equips us wonderfully. Um, also useful for rebuking and correcting. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Of all the different influences on my life, there is something here, because it's breathed out by God, that has the authority to actually overturn some of the, the wrong thinking I might have, to actually push against some of the influences that I might have from culture and from other sources in life and show me what is true. Show me where I need to change my thinking, to correct what I'm, I'm thinking. Are we open to that? Are we open to the Bible, uh, not just telling us things that we want and, and, and that we perceive as helpful, but also things that at first we might struggle with a bit, but then realize we, we need to have something overturned in our thinking. And then I remember a conversation about um, the last bit, which says that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the chap who was meeting up with me said, right, Simon, so um, how many good works out of the the good works that you could do does the Bible equip you for? I said, uh, every. Okay, every good work. And and how well does it equip you for every single good work that you might... uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work gosh seems that this book's really really important if it can thoroughly equip us for every good work that we might want to do for the lord in life and so for all of these reasons in the last chapter 2 timothy says this to uh, timothy who was a church leader so this is a message for church leaders in particular Uh, 2 timothy chapter 4 verse 2 Um, Well, let's start in verse 1. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. That's not saying here's a a good suggestion. It's saying, (laughs) in view of all of these extraordinary, weighty, eternal things, I give you this charge. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So this actually is is what church leaders are to do. More than anything else, uh, my job, Ed's job, is to teach the word of God, the Bible. Lots of other things that we do, but central to it is the authority of Scripture. And all of the other sources of authority... are are real and they are there and they are significant and important. We might sort of um, maybe pass on uh, insights we've gained from other people and and, good quotes from other teachers. We might talk about how we feel about something. We might try to sort of work something out logically. But all of those different authorities, different sources, um, can only really be true and useful if they help us to understand what, what God has said in the Bible. Um, I put a uh, a funny little diagram thingy on your... Well, not diagram, just a picture of some specs. And um, uh, S-P-E-C-S, talking about different sources of authority that there might be in your life. S for scripture, P for people, E for experience or emotions, you could say. C for culture, where we're influenced by the culture around us. And S for system, I guess there might be a kind of system, whether it's a denominational system or a theological system or a, uh, a secular worldview that is is kind of constraining our thinking, uh, which might easily make us less open than we could be or should be to what God is saying in Scripture. In an ideal scenario, those sources, those voices, those authorities all agree. And so at, at, at one point in my life, I reached a position where, actually, when it comes to Jesus dying on the cross for me, what my parents said and what my youth teachers had said and uh, the reasoning that I'd been thinking about and my feelings about longing for it to be true and what it said in Scripture all came together in a really powerful way. And that's great, but but sometimes authorities don't agree. And uh, maybe your feelings could, could say to you, That a certain behavior or a certain choice or a certain relationship in life is fine and good, maybe even exciting. Maybe you even feel it must be God's will because of um, feelings inside. But if the Bible disagrees with that, what then? Well, When it comes down to it, if the Bible is breathed out by God himself, yes it needs careful understanding, but we can't give our feelings an authority that is higher than The word of God himself. What about people? Lots of debates at the moment. Here at St. Michael's, we're part of the Church of England. Um, Some bishops in the Church of England are saying something different about what gender and sexuality uh, mean than uh, what the Bible teaches. What should we do in a situation like that? They are bishops, they have significant power and authority. But God has spoken. And the bishops are not God. And there are many views in our society and our institutions that need to be looked at under the the lens, the authority of Scripture. And God alone is in a position to tell us what is really true about all the big questions of life. Now that's us. Um, Same with any other denominational leaders. Um, If you have Baptist moderators or a Catholic pope or whatever authority uh, you might uh, come under uh, uh, their, whatever their authority they have needs to be less than the authority of the Bible in our lives and in our churches. And if they contradict the Bible, it needs to be God's word in the Bible that has the final say. Let me um, leave us with two uh, two questions as we finish for our, our thinking. First question, what, what do you want church leaders to do? Um, if you'll remember here at St. Michael's, what do you want uh, Ed and I and, and James and others who, who, who lead the church to do? Um, if you're at other churches, what do you want your, your church leaders to do? Central to everything that we do, you should want us to teach the Bible to you. Um, so hold us to that. Prod us if we get weak on it, if we look like we're veering off. Because that is where we get to hear the the breath, the voice of God. Um, If you think of the Bible talk as uh, the boring bit of the sermon, can I urge you to to think again, actually. When we faithfully teach the Bible, when um, week by week uh, uh, scripture is being um, read and then hopefully faithfully explained, um, then God is speaking to us. He's teaching us, he's training us, and maybe also rebuking us and correcting us where that needs to happen. Um, So are you up for that? Um, Are you up for that? Whichever church uh, you're part of. Up for opening yourself to God's instruction week by week um, through the scriptures. And uh, secondly, just uh, this question to go away with that we've been thinking about tonight. Why do you believe what you believe? It's good for us to think that through. Inevitably, there's a mix of factors, and probably all the ones I've mentioned and maybe more are in your life. Parents, teachers, friends, church leaders, people online, thing you've, things you've read, things you've felt, stuff you've just sort of processed in your own mind and, and logically tried to figure out, um, organizations, institutions, and so on and so on. Um, all of those sources need to be tested. Um, They all can be right. They all can be wrong. And they can all sometimes be a bit of a mixture. Only God can be fully, fully trusted. So, will you ask God to make you hungry for the Bible? um, Even more hungry than than you are for those other sources of um, uh, belief. If any of you want help with that, if you want to get into the Bible but you're struggling to know how to or for resources or for motivation, I'd love to chat to you about that. Chat to me or Ed or uh, Lucy or anyone else who's in a position to help. Why, why do we believe what we believe? Why can I be sure, after all of my doubts, that, for example, Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sins? Why can you be sure of that too? Well, it's this amazing book that is given by God to all the world, it is like no other. And in it, God speaks. So in our world with many voices, many authorities, many influences and influencers, we can know this uniquely about God, that when he speaks, whatever it's about, we can trust him. So let's Father God, we thank you so much for this amazing gift of the scriptures, words written down in human language that we can read, that we can have on our shelf at home, that we can have on our phones, that we can take out and and look at any time, any moment in our lives. What a gift. And thank you, Lord, that you, more than anyone else in all of history, can be trusted And Lord, we pray that we would therefore long for your words, long for your words to shed light and bring freedom in all the situations and all the questions and all the difficult circumstances that we try and find our way through in this life. Thank you, Lord, that you know us better than we know ourselves, that you speak into uh, everything that we could encounter. Help us, Lord, most of all, to have our thoughts directed again and again to Jesus, to his wonderful salvation on that cross.